Welcome back to another sci-fi episode where we're going to examine how we think, feel, and behave with money. This is where psychology and finance intersect. You can't have one without the other. Psychology is behind spending, and spending involves a lot of what you're thinking. And it is spending is a behavior that comes from our thinking. So speaking of spending, we performed a class, another sci-fi class on debt. We called it Cover Your Six, military speak, right? Six things to know about debt, credit, consolidation, and settlement. And today I have with me Matt Zaid. He is an accredited financial counselor candidate. He's already passed his exam. He's now getting his experience hours. A lot more knowledgeable than I am in finance, but he's going to assist me today in challenging a lot of the barriers that were presented from this class's survey. So yes, absolutely. So the first barrier that we're going to talk about is this person stated that their debt to income ratio is nowhere where it needs to be. And remember when I provided those two slides, we talked about a person who was close or at 36%. Right. And someone who is at a whopping 50%. And we asked the audience, you know, which person is in trouble? Well, it was a trick question, both of them. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're at 36%, which experts say be at 36% or less, if you're at 36%, all it takes is one more financial emergency, and then you're over that comfort mark. So just so people know how I'm doing the math so that they can check their own debt to income ratio, I'm doing the old fashioned one, not the monthly from your net pay. But this one is the traditional method where you're taking your debt payments and you're dividing it by your gross income. That's where you'll find out what your percentage is. If you need help with that math, you can always set up an appointment, 256-876-6299. That is for Team Redstone Arsenal employees only or their family members. Nice plug. Yes, of course. I'm never too shy to to give a little (laughs) advertisement there. So Matt, we have here this person being worried that they are over their debt to income limit. Now we're talking about the 36% or the- They're over the 36%. Okay. Yes. So there's a little more in in this, right? Um, what degree of risk are, are you? Okay. Uh, if you're looking at some of these examples, you're talking, you're looking at typically you, you, you have a car note, you've got a mortgage, you've got other installment loans and or credit cards revolving, revolving lines of credit that, that, that are out there, right? Um, you may be at 36%, but if you've got two months left on your car note, mm-hmm. That's going to drop you under that thirty-six percent very quickly, right? So, so there's your a message, different. Right. The message is that there's varying degrees of risk in that, yeah. right? If it's a very short-term thing done in a knowing matter, like you know that you're taking this risk for a specific amount of time for a specific reason, go for it, right? right. It's a risk. It's not a hard and fast. Thou shalt not do it. Life happens. Understand the risk of what you're doing. 
and go for it. If it's a conscious decision to do that, it may be different than just following blindly numbers. And the only way he or she is going to know that is if they write it down. Oh, absolutely. It needs yeah. to be in the plan. Yeah. And there needs to be a, uh, I, I would say an amortization schedule, right? Yes. Which is really just a fancy way of saying, knowing how much you owe each month and when those bills stop. Right. What is the balance? And what is the APR? Do you have left what to is do? the minimum monthly payment? Yes. Those are all important numbers. Right. So, really, to this person who put that barrier in the survey, first of all, I feel for you. It's easy to panic when you see a number that is mm-hmm. not where it should be, but this right. is a guideline. Right. It's it's to help you understand where you need to make some corrections. Mm-hmm. And we all have to course correct Absolutely. at some point. Uh, and so someone who's buying their very first home mm-hmm. could have a debt to income ratio that is above 36%, yeah, but it may be still okay for them to have that because that spouse that they're the person that they're marrying has accepted a job offer right and so it's just a temporary thing so we need to take all of those things into consideration Mm -hmm. is is what you're saying so the next barrier is this person stating just having a full understanding of how to make corrections on my credit report. So this that's is very, huge. yeah, we are making that a hard huge. turn right yeah, that's, here. That, yeah. that, that's very much shiny object left. Exactly. Squirrel. <laughs> very <laughs> right. much a squirrel moment. So yeah. we talked about the credit report in this class and we talked about mm-hmm. how to access the credit report right. and a true free yes. credit report where yeah. you do not have to supply your credit uh, card for a trial mm-hmm. run. At annualcreditreport.com, you're going to get a true free credit report, no risks. You can pull this. Now they're allowing you to pull this uh, a, a fresh credit report once a week because of the pandemic. It used to be they were only allowing you to pull one free credit report from each of the credit reporting bureaus once per year. But right now they're allowing people to pull them once per week because of the scams Mm -hmm. during the pandemic and also because of the economic uh, hard time that we had uh, during the pandemic. So people who um, had to make pauses in those minimum monthly payments and now they're correcting uh, because they found work or, or whatever the case right. is. Now, I, I think there's one one thing we need to point out with annualcreditreport.com. Sure. Um, is yes, it's a .com site, right? Yep. It, it, so it's not a .gov, so you're not, it's not a government website. That's okay, right? Matt. We so, have it is, in our podcast no, 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 we, Agreed, agreed, agreed. And, 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 <laughs> and that's fine, right? So, but don't be dissuaded. It's a real thing is what yes. I'm trying to say. Yes. Right? It, it's a, it's a legit, it's a legit site. And, but you're, when you look at your credit report, that is not your credit score. Right. There is a difference that will not give you your credit score. It will give you your credit report. Arguably, your report is more important than the score. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Your credit report is basically your report card of how well you have managed your debt. Mm-hmm. We're not here telling you that you shouldn't have debt. Right. Debt is something that we all take on, but we should only be taking it on strategically and intentionally. So 
the the barrier that's listed here is someone is asking, well, how do I make the corrections on my credit report? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, audience, how simple it is. If you go to annualcreditreport.com and you pull up either Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion, it will have a section, usually at the bottom or the beginning, depending mm-hmm. on which one, dispute error or dispute information. Yes. It will take you to another link. You will complete what you're wanting to dispute. Mm-hmm. I have disputed the spelling of my name on yeah. one of my credit reports. They corrected it. Mm-hmm. And they have that history on my credit report of showing where my name mm-hmm. was corrected. So you might need to make corrections to your credit report whether it's based on personal information or because someone has listed a debt twice for you. Yes. I see that a lot when I do a credit report review for folks that are coming in for security clearance issues. Mm -hmm. They'll have a delinquent debt that has been listed twice. Now, human error is a big thing with credit reports because it is humans providing the reporting to these credit reporting bureaus. So all you have to do, just like you would with your credit card, hit the dispute button. You provide a little information. They investigate it for you. If they need additional information, they're going to let you know. It is easy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and in fact, there's there's instances where the creditor's contact information is on there as well. And so you are able to call and I, and I say this because if someone is taking credit out in your name and it was not you, mm-hmm. you can actually have – you can call those credit companies as well as the credit bureau and have those accounts taken off of your record. Also, you may want to keep an, a look on the balance on, on a lot of your accounts. There are instances – we live in a very – IT-centric world mm. where lenders switch computer com- – switch the company that does their IT support and the balance does not update. Right. And I've had that happen to, to me a couple of years ago. And so I called the, the company that was offering the finance and they disputed it for me and updated the amount on the account the next month. Very nice. Yeah. So it, so it can be done. Right. It's just – going to your credit report, getting the information that you need and calling and making a phone call or hitting a button. Right. And following up. And your credit report would not be made available to you as the consumer if you couldn't understand it. Right. So for those who would say, I I don't even know how to read this, mm-hmm. it's because you haven't taken t- the time to attempt to try to read it. I had, and I'm sure you too, Matt, we've taken a class or a certification on how to read or review a credit report. And I'll be the first to tell you, it is not rocket science. No. It was probably the easiest course I've ever taken in Mm -hmm. my life. Meal planning is more difficult than reviewing a credit card or credit report in in my book, at least. (laughs) Following directions on Google Maps is sometimes harder. What happens psychologically is a consumer pulls up their credit report. They see that it's over 200 pages long Mm -hmm. and this inertia just sits in. Mm -hmm. They're paralyzed. What am I supposed to do with all of this information? 
bite by bite, page by page. Mm -hmm. Just go through it. Look at the balances. Mm -hmm. Look at the areas where they're showing when you've paid within the past 30 days. They'll actually spell out for you what payment you made. Mm -hmm. And if it's looking right, you can feel good about that. But what you're really wanting to look for on your credit report is negative information. Yes. Is that something that you need to dispute? Maybe you made the payment. You, I know I mailed that check. My check register right here says I mailed that check. They didn't receive the check. And now I'm 90 days overdue. Oh boy, I better rectify that. First, you call the credit company. You let them know what happened. And they might fix it right there for you. And you don't even have to dispute on your credit report. You've already fixed it with the creditor yourself. So please, when you are opening up your credit report, just take it page by page. If you need someone to go over it with you, you're more than welcome to give me a call and we can review that with you. And, and one more thing on mm-hmm. that. It, when you have a life event, so if you get if you get married, if you get divorced, if you get – if you even move. So if you're, if you're a federal employee and, and you get a job in some new location and you move after you make that move – Check your report. Yeah. You never know what might what might have popped up after that light as that life event happens, uh, and make sure things are actually correct. Right. And on that note, because you're talking about major life events, significant mm-hmm. emotional events, mm-hmm. even prior to that event happening, if you know mm-hmm. that it's coming, such as marriage, right. it is a good practice to ask your significant other to pull their credit report. Yes. And you both review credit reports together so that nothing is hidden. Mm -hmm. I actually have a couple coming in in October. This person visited me individually. Uh, He's about to get married and he's engaging in premarital financial counseling. His fiance is coming in. And so I said, hey, go ahead and take your personality assessment that I'm giving you. Take your investment philosophy quiz, the both of you, so that I know how to work with you. But also both of you go ahead and pull your credit report, Mm -hmm. so that we can have an honest discussion of what you are marrying into. What are you saying yes to you? Because when you say yes to me, I want you to say yes to all of me. And that's the way that we want folks to enter into a communion or a marriage. Mm -hmm. Because that can affect your financial well-being. Absolutely. And I like how you said it. I was thinking something else. But it can affect your goals, Mm -hmm. everything that you worked hard for in your life to achieve. If you marry into something where someone is over $200,000 in delinquent debt, that's going to negatively impact your goals, your financial goals. Are you going to be able to buy that home that you really wanted if you didn't know that? Because you're not just marrying them. You're marrying their finances. You're marrying every part of that person. Absolutely. Here's another one. Being in debt, that's the barrier, Mm -hmm. but also trying to overcome prior spending habits while dealing with high interest rates. This person has three barriers going for them right now. Right now, a prior history of overspending, which caused a larger debt load than they're comfortable with, but not just a debt load, which is not always bad, right? right. but a debt load with high interest rates. Mm -hmm. So 
Matt, what would you say to this person if they were in your office? How would you first kind of stabilize <laughs> the situation? So I don't, yes, it's a money problem, yeah. right? But I think more so than it being a money problem, it is a probably a psychology problem. Yeah. You know, a, 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 it's probably a personal perception problem. Yeah. There may be just, it may just be champagne dreams and a beer budget. Yeah. Uh, or it may, you know, there may be some significant life events that happened that, right. drew, that drove them there. Right. right. And I'm so happy that you said that real quick. There are folks who have mental health diagnoses mm -hmm. that can, when someone is episodic, right. it can create some level of mania to where overspending Absolutely. does occur. Doesn't justify. No. And no. in tandem with their medical provider and their current treatment plan, how can we overcome that particular barrier? But continue. Right. I'm sorry I interrupted. Right. No, no, you oh, didn't, interrupt, didn't interrupt at all. You know, I think one of these, each one of these kind of builds on the other, right? So the getting into debt was possibly in this scenario, sounds as though it was caused mostly by the overspending. The overspending may be part of wanting to keep up with the Joneses. It mm. may be something legit. And I don't, not to say that keeping up with the Joneses is not legit at some certain, yeah. at, at some certain level, right? Don't get, please don't get me wrong on that. But, and then it sounds as though they couldn't maintain that debt load and the interest rate may have followed or they were using credit cards yeah. instead of something that was secured for that and secured means it's backed up by something, right? right? So collateral. Collateral, right. So you're, if you have a car loan, it's backed up by the by the value of the vehicle. If you have a house, a home loan, it's backed up by the value of that home. Uh, credit cards are backed up by nothing more than faith in your ability to repay. Hence, they have a higher interest rate. Yeah. Right. So it's now it's amazing what happens, though, when you start to reduce that debt load and you you know, if you switch your methodology on repayment and start looking at the things with the higher, either either the stuff with the lower, the lowest balance and pay that off or the stuff with the highest interest rate and pay that off and focus your efforts in those two, in one of those two ways, right. you can fairly rapidly at least lower the debt load on some. The key on that is to take whatever's at the, once you pay one of those off is to take that amount of money and put it on the next one, whatever that may be. Snowball, right. avalanche, whatever you want to yep. say. You know, there's there's so many d different variations right. on this depending on what camp you want to fall in. And for audience members who might say, wow, that sounds really good, Matt, but I don't even know how to do that. There's a software program out there yep. called PowerPay. It is free. Mm -hmm. And I'll be sure to put that in the post uh, so that you can go there and plug in your own numbers. And we also have uh, a debt reduction tool on our financial readiness website. So I'll be able, I'll provide both uh, so that, that folks can have. But what you're saying is we have to have a visual of what's going yes. on before we can really start making corrective action. Yes. Yeah. When it, It's amazing what happens when you see something written down mm -hmm. and, and you're confronted with those actual numbers mm -hmm. on, I would go so far as to say on physical paper, not on a computer screen. Right. right? There, there's, there, there's psychological research that yes. supports that it's better to put pen to paper journal what mm -hmm. is going on rather than putting it on a computer screen. Because right. when you are putting something in a computer screen, 
or in, in a computer system, you're more likely to be distracted by thoughts of seeing an error or mm-hmm. typing something in incorrectly, and then you lose that flow of thought. Yes. So very good. Yeah. Now, I want to I also share that you're, you're talking about this fear that is reduced when we, well, actually, fear that is activated when we see something, Mm -hmm. but fear that is also activated before Mm -hmm. we even pixelate what is on that paper. Well, because you have a feeling that something's wrong, but you you can't put your finger on what it is or how bad it might be. Right. And... You know, I hate to say it. There's a there's there's a stigma and a sense of shame in many cases that oh, I, I'll never be able to do this. Oh, I, I'll 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 never dig myself out. I'm not good enough to do this. Yes, you are. You're absolutely good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can. Mm-hmm. A lot of it goes back to yes. There may be some behavior modifications, and you may need to you know you may need some assistance along the way. We all need help at some point mm-hmm. in our lives. Like if you don't need help. You're probably not human. Right. Exactly. And so let's go ahead and reduce the stigma by everyone in the room saying, I need help with several things Mm -hmm. throughout my lifespan. And I will say paradoxically as well, fear is reduced once you've actually written it down and you've pixelated the information, Mm -hmm. you've seen the information, it is now more real to you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people expect that once they see it, they're going to panic even more. But the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. And this is what we do with exposure therapy in the clinical world. Mm -hmm. Exposure therapy is quite productive for the patient because number one, we ask you to think about it first we assess your anxiety level just thinking about it. Then we ask you to create your own image. So such as writing down your own numbers. You're still not, you've still not been exposed to the fear stimuli Mm -hmm. yet. You're just writing it down as you see it. And then we assess your anxiety. And then finally, we expose you to the fear stimulus and then assess your anxiety. It's really no worse than what it was in your head yeah, and what it was, what you thought it was when you wrote it down. So it's the same because I actually, I'm bringing this up because in my list of barriers, I'm also seeing fear to discover my debt to income ratio, which is keeping that person from making that calculation. Yeah. Yeah. Or making, or thinking that they've made the calculation wrong. Right. Right. Or because there's so many, and and this goes back to the, it's not as complicated as people think, right? There's a lot of ratios out there. Yeah. There's the debt to disposable income. There's debt to income. There's housing cost affordability. Oh, and they just go on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, eventually you're just like, okay, what? It's just a bunch of professionals making themselves feel better about their professionalism by creating new things. Right. And at some point for, for, (laughs) for everyday people, what we're really talking about is what does my life cost? And do, do I make enough money to cover what my life costs. And if not, you're left with two choices. You generally, mm-hmm. right? You can either increase your income to to make to meet those needs or you can reduce what your life costs you mm-hmm. from what, by one method or another. And there's a lot of tools that are out there 
to be able to accomplish that. Right. But until you know what your life costs and until you put down on paper what you actually owe, what you actually have, and see where it meets in the middle. Right. And you've just provided guidance on one of those barriers. Great. All it's right. It's difficult to budget when prices are increasing, especially groceries and gas. But when you- That's very true. Write it down. It's hard. And you are asking yourself, what is life costing me? Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm thinking of a metaphor too. Not only costing you financially, but what is it costing you emotionally and mentally to continue on a path that you know is not Mm -hmm. realistic? Well, but again, it goes back to take, take, when you're in that situation, it takes away from that financial well being, that sense of, Mm. you know, and financial well being being that sense of security, that, that, that the, the kid with walking around with their blanket. Yeah. Linus, right? right? So that kind of lends itself then with that security blanket where it provides that level of comfort that we're looking for. Yes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, and it doesn't feel good. Right. So which leads us to the next barrier Mm -hmm. that this person feels confused about when to use credit and when not to use credit. Mm -hmm. And I think I did use a quote from a book that I recently read from the talk about money. It was how we are teaching our children not how to spend cash. We're teaching our children how to spend credit. Yes. Which is unfortunate because we've, we have gone away from that traditional marker of where we were supposed to be saving for something mm-hmm. before we purchased it. Right. But now we're purchasing and then paying for it over a five-year, seven-year period. Yes. And I agree with the author that it's not the healthiest practice to be teaching our children. We don't want our children to go into debt straight away, but we have more young adults who are up to their eyeballs in debt. I had a a client recently Mm -hmm. in his 20s who's already gone through a bankruptcy and completed the bankruptcy. To me, that's very sad. Yes. Very sad. And it, wow. Okay, that that's it's telling. Yeah, that's that's just quite says quite a bit. Because don't get me wrong, bankruptcy is a tool. And it bank, is a tool. And and there are times where it absolutely is the right thing to do. And there's a stigma that a lot of people have around bankruptcy that I don't. That, that I don't think is entirely fair mm-hmm. um, because like I said, there is a time for it and there is, there are situations where it is not only called for, it is the right thing for that individual to do. Mm-hmm. But that is a scary thought in, yeah. in a lot of cases. It's sobering. And so I, I think what this person with the barrier is really wanting to know um, because we do use the mm-hmm. language in finance, good debt, versus bad debt. Right. And yeah. we hate using those terms because we want to get rid of the stigma. Are, yeah, are, are, are. But at the same time, there are appropriate times to absolutely use credit. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying good debt or bad debt, let's just talk about there's debt that's going to either increase your net worth or not. Right. And yeah. what can you stomach? But even if you can stomach it, is it something that is going to improve your well-being or decrease your well-being? Right, right. Now, 
you know, and and we can talk about what is an investment and what is not when we're talking about this as well. Because as you're looking at, you know, if if you buy if you buy a car, um, you could say that that is good debt or bad debt. Uh, depending on a lot of factors, exactly. right? Exactly. Individual situation, Absolutely. circumstance. But if that car, if buying that car allows you the mobility to maintain a job that is at a, or, and name your profession, that is at a little more remote location and you can't bike there or walk there, uh, that facilitates, and that is actually kind of an investment in your financial well-being and is probably okay to do right. with, with debt right now when we're talking about buying something that can increase your net worth it, that's not technically increasing your net worth but it is increasing your ability to provide for your for to cover your lifestyle your your lifestyle and what right. your life costs now going back going back on that if you're just using credit cards or payday loans to, you know, going down the the, the finan- financial spectrum of, of, of you know, and higher and higher risk. Um, then you're talking about things that are not necessarily sustainable, right? And things that are going to come back and bite you later, right? Specifically, if you can't pay for them, right? Um, and so, really, what you're saying is using credit going to facilitate a lifestyle of living beyond your means. And if that's the answer, then that is where you really want to take a step back and truly ask yourself, is it worth that added stress? Right. And then therefore you're creating a new barrier Yes. because you've created multiple stressors within your life. If you're living at or below your means, Mm -hmm. an emergency comes up, Hopefully you have the emergency savings, but if you don't, but it's to cool the house because you have to have HVAC repair Mm -hmm. and you have to put the $200 on your credit card, so be it. Because Mm -hmm. the health and well-being of your children and yourself are at stake and it would cost you more to stay in a hotel rather than just go ahead and spend the $200. And there, so yes, but again, this goes back to why you have an emergency savings, right? There's a method to that though, where, hey, I need it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put it on the credit card, and then pay the credit card with the emergency savings, and then rebuild the emergency savings. Yes. Right. So it's a, you know, it's a little more drawn out to do the to do the same thing. You get it now because you need it now, and then in a few days, when when that transfer would then pay for that, pay that credit card off. So, you know, staying away from the riskier, high, higher interest rate choices that are not backed up by something. In other words, that they're not backed up by, you know, say a car or um, some form of asset. Those are riskier debt decisions. And for many people, maybe the better answer is to avoid them. I would contend that one of the riskier things people are engaging in is not having an emergency savings. Oh, absolutely. So if you are 
someone in the audience who is thinking, oh, that sounds great, Matt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take the 200 out of mm -hmm. the emergency fund, pay off the credit card, but I have no emergency fund. Well, that really needs some looking into. Mm -hmm. And this isn't Olivia or Matt acting like your mom or dad and right. saying, wagging our fingers and saying, yeah. you must have an emergency savings fund, but that's what's killing us. And that goes back to the financial well-being that we've been right. talking about for the past month is what the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau found is the highest predictor of financial well-being mm -hmm. is having savings and cushion mm -hmm. to absorb a financial shock. If you're not sure how to do that, please give me a call. We'll set up an appointment. Matt, thank you so much for Thanks being for with us me. today. And I look forward to future podcasts with you Absolutely. as well.